When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is an entire world out there that gave up about finding alpha. As if only passive works and everything else is just, it, it cannot work. And I think that is really wrong. And I encourage others out there just to be, to build a circle of, of competence and then go about it and then, you know, find one or two good investments each year, max. You know, one every two years is fine. And on that basis, you can make a career out of it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of My Life in Four Trades. Joining me today is Alexander Stahl, founder and CIO of Berg Robin Holding. Transparency is really important to us at Real Vision. So before we kick off this conversation with Alex, I just want to disclose that his firm has in the past held sizable positions in the companies that are mentioned and may be active in them once again when this airs. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Alex. Welcome to My Life in Four Trades. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. So before we jump in and talk about your trades, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up and what were your early years like? So I grew up in Switzerland, also spent all my schooling in Switzerland, and um, then quickly left for the United Kingdom, where I started my career as an investment banker, as many like-minded people do. And then um, from there, I went actually operational. So I ran operational businesses for um, half my career, about 10 years and then went back into private and public equity investing. So were you always interested in finance as a young man? Did you always know you wanted to get into banking somehow? My father was a cotton trader, and so we talked a lot about trading, and I never liked it, and nothing about <laughs> it. And so I said, I don't want to be there. I want to be somewhere else. And, and I guess that's why I... Uh, I thought, early on thought, um, you know, I need to learn valuations, I need to understand companies, and then hopefully, at some point when I was, I think, 30, I, I had the first book, I'm 52 now, I had the first book of Buffett in my hand, not of him, but about him, and that's where I really got um, uh, interested, in, and then I knew I'd like to be in the investment field. Isn't it funny that we start out thinking we don't want to do that, and then you you have sort of a journey that brings you round trip again because you're doing you you much of what you focus on is commodities, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's it. it I always obviously had family access, so to speak, about what commodities are all about, um, and then um, somehow, interestingly enough, in two fourteen when I started book club and said, okay, here is some of my accumulated money over my career. Let's reinvest it wisely. I really couldn't find value anywhere. And then uh, suddenly the cyclical stocks came back to mind. We had an oil crash and I thought maybe I should look at oil. And then I really, I, and I obviously I knew things about oil um, for, for, you know, many reasons and, and um, uh, family conversations. But then I, I really went about it in a systematic way. 
let's go to your first trade, and that's one of your best, and that's Sangha Offshore. So set the scene for us. When did this trade happen? What was going on in the world at the time that put this on your radar? So we got um, familiar with the company at some point in 16, 2016. And um, 16, if you I just mentioned it, in 2014, we had this in 2010, America started with its U.S. shale miracle, so to speak. And that started to oversupply the entire oil space. And that took a while for the market to, to realize what's going on. And then shale really took off more and more and, uh, and beat market expectations in terms of oil output. And in 2014, we had an oil crash. And everything oil-related went, obviously, into a spiral. And not just the oil producers, uh, what we call the EMPs, the exploration production companies, but the service companies too. And many of them had to restructure or had to uh, uh, right-size their balance sheet or, or needed new uh, capital and so on. And uh, Songa Offshore in its core is nothing else but a four-rig offshore-rig service provider for the EMP companies that need to drill wells offshore, um, either in the North Sea or somewhere else uh, um, offshore. And so that's when it all came together, where they also had the same problems. Uh, and then they had some speci more specific problems in when the, those were brand new rigs that they got delivered when those rigs came finally to the company and everything got more and more awkward and then they became what I call a, a restructuring case. Mm. And that's what uh, um, um, you know, when we paid a lot of attention to the situation because we felt the market looking forward and the contracts they had were actually very favorable and the balance sheet could have been fixed, it was a question of equity. And if you participate in that, you should probably have a very good setup of a, um, a good industry outlook, a company that now becomes healthy again, and then um, still quite a bit of that, but a very strong contract with, uh, at the time, um, Equinor, um, um, the, the oil major in, in Norway. And so we felt very comfortable with the situation. So are you a distress investor at this point or always, or is, is it sort of depends on the circumstance? No, it's definitely a, a cir circumstance that uh, makes us behave um, and, and find opportunities. We, what we have what we call four types of investments, a bit like what Buffett once explained. And we call it the wonderful company at the fair price. So let's call it the Googles. Right, hmm. that are uh, just amazing compounders. They grow. They need very little capital, and they create a lot of shareholder value on the way of it, on the way to it. But those are hard to find, and once they're out, often people understand them fairly early, and then they are always become pricey. Hmm. And then you have to have a very good understanding, if you're honest about it about every single aspect of such a technology company, or it can be another, it doesn't have to be tech heavy. But I often feel that people then overestimate their ability to understand the outlook um, or the competitive landscape of such an environment. And in hindsight, everyone says, no, I knew Google would be the winner in this and that. It just so happens that in 2001, um, for from ninety six to two thousand one, I did mostly tech um, in, in mm. the US bank I was in, 
and I was reading in, you know, 18 hours a day tech. And all those names that were important then are not around anymore, right? Mm. And, and by the way, we were even part of the Google IPO. So I knew the company fairly well. And it wasn't clear to me at all that those would be the winners. We were also part of the Amazon IPO, and it wasn't clear to me at all, although I knew exactly that Jeff Bezos was very good, was going to be the winner. So I think in hindsight, people make it a little bit easy on them when they were actually maybe lucky too. Wow. So I think that's really important. So, I mean, we've we've had many conversations about the difference between sort of acumen and luck on this podcast. And opinions all are over the place, although many are honest that they think luck has a, a fair amount to do with it. Do you think that that is the case in all investments or is it particular to technology and maybe things that are future leaning that don't exist yet? Can you apply more sort of discipline and rigor to things that are in the tangible world, in the industrial world, in the commodity space? I think you're spot on, Maggie, if one is honest. Now, I wouldn't, uh, again, it's a much more profitable and beautiful investment style to go about these wonderful companies at the fair price and understand where they are going. And I understand why people obsess about it. However, um, it's much easier to look at something that has intrinsic value X, Y, Z because of you have um, hard data that you can attach to it be the, um, an offshore rig that you know it's actually just came out of the yard, it costs 600 million and you have a contract that's going to give you $250,000 or in that case $450,000 a day for it. And you have such and such cost and these are the maintenance. So, so the moving parts in such an investment case are much smaller. Mm. And um, in that case, you um, especially if you have like Songa offshore, um, a 20-year contract with a major, now, can you, do you then go about that contract and say, hey, can the major go bankrupt? That was pretty, uh, you know, unlikely event for the case of Song of, of Equinox, the largest, um, um, one of the largest European uh, oil and gas companies and, and one probably of the best managed too. And then, and uh, with the most beautiful assets uh, um, offshore Norway. And then, too, you go about the contract, and the contract was just a, a very strong contract, too, where it was very hard for Songa, for Equinox, to kind of give Songa offshore a hard time when it comes to, uh, you know, any contractual obligations and how they could make abuse the situation, so to speak, for their own purposes. And I think that's just a, an easier investment style. It's not, not without risk and you have to have knowledge for I call circle of competence. And, but when you have that, I think you can reduce the variables or so to speak, the risk parameter. And, and then you can have a firm view and often you have a, um, a very clear, uh, call it, um, uh, you know, the price that you pay and the value that you get for it moment. And then you have to be patient because the market doesn't necessarily agree on you with day one when you do that investment. But 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 those long-term growth prospects that can can be profitable for 20, 30 years to come for one, um, they, in my view, require so much knowledge and attention on an annual basis that, yes, they, they are wonderful when they turn out, but I wonder how many people have tried how many things and then you know, and then uh, they were lucky on, on, on one or two of them and not on many. 
<laughs> so what do you think your your lesson or your takeaway was from that that successful trade, you know, in the sort of tangible world with this this offshore uh, company? What did you learn from that? So it was for me, it was a fantastic proof when I was, you know, but so far when I say, I said we came about it in 16 and, and then we invested and we, we, by the way, we took a very concentrated bet too. So it was a large part of our net worth and our client's net worth. Um, but for me, um, it was the first time I did it in my own name, with my own shop rather than a bigger shop where you always have this, you know, where it's. Yes, you do probably the work, but it's there are many others that uh, take care of you too, or that you know that matter in the in the process. And so that number one, that was the first real winner of something that we always uh, wanted to prove to others too that we can find it and that we can do it. And no one knew the name and what is this and so on and so forth. So it was a, a gutsy play um, that worked out absolutely as advertised. And it was another way of showing that if you have circle of competency, if you go about it, if you go what I call the extra mile, I call it a private equity approach in public equity, where we really try and understand everything about it. And um, that approach served us extremely well. Extremely well. That uh, that was for me kind of the the moment where I decided this will work for us in the long term and let's do it. And it's a bit of this also Warren Buffett kind of thing where he says invest. Mm -hmm. You only have you know this punch card, food card where you can do twenty punches. Don't be obsessed about having a view on every little trade and every little move. Do few things, do them right, and then do them big. And that was my first time I really executed on that in my career in a very consequent way. Um, that, that, those are really wise words in this time when I think people, you know, did rely on a more passive, there is no alternative, just shovel money into one area of the market sector, as opposed to doing that really, really deep dive down into companies. So your second trade is also one of your best, and this is Petrotal. And I, I believe this is one that you're still in, but you'll you'll give us that at the end. So now you're kind of looking for these opportunities where it sounds like there's asymmetry, right? There's a there's something that you see that other people don't. So how did this come on your radar? Yeah. And before we go to Petrotal, you just said something so important before that I'd like to uh, emphasize again. There is an entire world out there that gave up about finding alpha, as if only passive works. And everything else is just, it, it cannot work. And I think that is really wrong. And I encourage others out there just to be, to build a circle of, of competence and then go about it and then, you know, find one or two good investments each year, max. You know, one every two years is fine. And on that basis, you can make a career out of it. But you have to be diligent about it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I think that this idea of build a circle of competence is important. How does one do that? I mean, you have 
you know, obviously uh, the experience in banking and from different different perspectives, which is probably really important, and also this sort of family knowledge that you came with. How do you think people can go uh, go and build a circle of competence? How do they figure out even where to start on that? I'm not sure any of the things you mentioned were relevant for, for the way I operate. Um, I, I think what it is on my side is just this constant fear of not knowing something which is relevant. Mm. Or also the belief that I can find out and that I can go about it and that I just have to really make sure that I don't s- fall asleep at the wheel. And I think it's those characteristics that uh, define more than anything else. So what does that mean, for instance, in the, in the, for oil, for the oil sector, right? So I read every single book I could find over the last 20 years on oil. Mm. Just to make sure that I don't miss out any voice that has a relevant aspect that I couldn't see or where I have a blind spot or something. And I think it's that what you need to bring. I'm not sure. The, I mean, what I, I like to say in the investment bank, we learned how to work hard. Right? I started to work at SG Warburg with at the time, which was, I would say, as popular as, uh, as Goldman Sachs. Uh, in, it was based in the UK and then it was taken over immediately by a Swiss bank. I never wanted to work for a Swiss bank. So <laughs> your, your past keeps chasing you, Alex. <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm, get, I'm getting a Swiss bank. I'm thinking, oh no, I just wanted to escape that. You know, I think the Anglo-Saxons are so much more professional in this. Anyway, so I'm there and we're working 18 hours. And for that, uh, while I hated it when I was there, because I thought it was a very bad culture, um, it was an elite culture, but not a clever elite culture. It was like a locker room kind of who can work the hardest culture. And um, um, I wanted to survive in it. And I wanted to show myself I can do that. And I managed it. But then after five years, I, I felt like, now let's go to a company and do the real thing. So let's let's bring this circle of competence, which I think is so important, into Petrotal. So, so you're doing your due diligence. You're scouring around in this area that you now feel like you really own. Um, how did you – what was it about this company that sort of piqued your interest? So at that point, I probably covered 500 EMPs. I kid you not in every which aspect that you can possibly think. And when the people that know me know when we go about reservoirs, we go about them, right? We don't say, okay, there is oil. So that's done, right? And then, no, let's find out if there is oil. And not because management tells us, but because we have our own uh, guys and they don't have to work for Burkhardt. We we are not that big a shop that we can hire dozens of geologists, but we will find senior geologists that don't like anything and that uh, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, do a job for me um, and they probably, you know, they can do it usually quite quickly. It, it's not even that expensive. They enjoy it and they are oh, no bullshit, right? They just tell you, Ooh, I look at these well results. Don't bother. This is, this is what we call boots on the ground. <laughs> oh, yes. and, and, and we obviously joined them and we like it and we learned a lot over the years about that and so on. But I'm still not a reservoir engineer. I'm not a geologist. Okay, so at the end of the day, however, we care about exactly those to make sure that we understand the basis of the company for an oil company, and that's the reservoir. 
and, and, and so by that time, I, I probably had 500 companies that I looked at in, in, in a lot of detail. And that excludes any of the U.S. shale players because we never felt we could understand them. Right? They are all these small little things that they do. And then, you know, and we never liked the cost structure and we never uh, felt comfortable to understand how they make money when something decays 70% in year one. Mm. rates of these shale players. And so we, um, on that knowledge, Maggie, I was in Norway at the conference and then there is a guy called Manolo that pitches Petrotal and I'm listening to him and I say, if half of that is true, I want to be in that company. So you already went in saying, I don't, yeah. I'm just listening. I never heard about it. It's this spin out. You know, which is often a good idea to start, right? So I'm saying, ah, spin out, I like, right? A, a, a mother company that cannot handle a situation in another situation. In this case, it was a Colombian company called Cantiera. They couldn't handle the, pe the Peruvian setup where, where there were already a lot of sunk costs. So there is another buzzword where I'm thinking, oh, fine, someone invested 300 million that we can take advantage of, right? And then it goes on and on and on. And I'm thinking, oh, this is getting better by the minute, you know? And then, um, and then I say, okay, so fine. La, la, la. Then literally the same day I called the troops and said, look, who understands Peru? Who on this and that and so on? And, and, and we're putting it, a team together and we're, we're literally in the plane to Peru. And then wow. Out, yeah, yeah. And then we, we once we smell blood, we get very. <laughs> I can tell. I can see your enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and and so we went about this, and we really tried to understand everything about it, and we did, and we made, uh, I think, one of the better um, um, reservoir um, analytics on that. We said literally from day one to all the analysts and the reservoir competent person reports and so on. She said, you guys are wrong. This is right. Right. And they were like, who the heck is this guy? You know, and, um, and, and we were proven right because that was obviously in 18 and now it's 22 and we know, and, and we were right about everything we said. Now here comes the lesson, Maggie. Nothing about it was easy, right? I was right <laughs> about everything. And then it goes up a little bit finally, and then comes COVID, boom, boom. No one needs oil. And we're sitting there, thinking, okay, fine. But that's where the homework came in, right? We had the homework done, we feel comfortable. But now the company needs more capital because everything changed with COVID. Not just the oil price that went, as you know, in America, even below zero. But uh, um, it, it was just quickly getting awkward on the cost side. We The, co the company was lean and mean. And now needed capital. So, okay, so we reinvested because we've done mm. the homework, Maggie. So you doubled down, I think, is what they'd say. It, it, down. So this is interesting because um, what you're what you're talking about is not just an opportunistic investment. You're really buying the company for a time. It sounds like it's 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 a requires commitment and patience because you did hit this unexpected. You know, Robert, how do you avoid the temptation to just bail out? You know, what is the what is the rationale around doubling down? Again, you mentioned something extremely important in our um, contracts with our clients. We say we don't buy uh, stocks; we buy companies. Mm. So for us, this is not the same thing, right? We may only buy a very small piece of that company in the form of stocks that are publicly listed. 
But when I say we buy companies, I again refer to what Buffett explained. If you have this mindset of analyzing a company and buying the whole company, then you look at it differently than saying, oh, maybe this stock is a little cheap and then maybe I make a gain here for 10% or 20 or 30. So yes, that's, was, that's it's definitely now DNA as an operator, as private equity, as now public equity, as being obsessed with doing the homework. But then how do you decide whether do you stay in or not? And it comes yes. down to the circle of competence. And if you are in June 2020 and you don't understand oil enough, you think, now that was really a bad idea and I might as well take my medicine. Yes. And you, and yeah. you leave that. You kiss that goodbye. But if you understand enough oil and you've done all the books, you know there is no way we as a human species are not going to consume more oil in a year, two or three to come because we are all hooked on oil. Mm. And then you say, wow, this is an amazing, incredible once in a hundred year event in COVID, right? The pandemic that I have to go through, but okay, let's get it done now because we are in the right thing. And otherwise, obviously. You, 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 you know, we had clients calling and say, I, in fact, a very large client who, uh, who was run by, a, you know, um, you know, a, a talented um, man um, as the family office had. And he said, look, Alexander, I just don't believe we need oil anymore. And I said, are, are you serious about this? And he said, yes, absolutely. And I said, okay, fine. There's nothing I can do about it, but I guarantee you, we will need oil next year, the year after, and for 50, 100 years to come. And a lot of it, and we're not going to have enough of it. And so, but, but for me, this was like not a question. It was just how can I explain it to people so that they can come around and look at this? Because obviously in June 2020, everyone said this oil price is at 24 years to come. On that basis, you don't have a business case in Petrotol. Yeah. No, we, we and we saw that we saw that huge debate. So that ex your your circle of competence and your just conviction of the work you've done is what keeps you in the trade. How do you know when you close the book on a successful trade? So you stay with it, and and I think you're still in this one, right? This is a current trade right now. You have a position, yeah. How do you know when you're going to get out? So Maggie. Um it's actually the other way around. We went out. Now, we have some left, and we were in it rather big. I think at, at some point we owned 9.5% um, of the company, or even 10 almost, 95 And, a half. and um, the point there is including warrants, right? We also were received warrants in that uh, capital increase. And so I went out this summer, this July, mm. and, um, and making four and a half times our money. Okay, between 18, uh, increasing, increasing again. And now I think uh, if you um, look at it on a time adjusted, it's more like two and a half years. So that's a good trade. Yes. Now, at the same time, I'm saying to everyone that looks at that, I'm saying it's, it's grossly undervalued, Maggie. Still, it should go up another two, three times. So how come I sell it? There are two things there. First of all, when you have such, when you are acting as an institutional and you want to pass the baton on, you have to go out when others still have a lot of upside. That's my view. Otherwise, don't do the trade. If you do Mickey Mouse little steps, 
you're never gonna get out in big ways, right? So so first of all, give yourself enough room to make three to four times the money. So it's risk adjusted to um, uh, give others the chance also to make money. Number two, and 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 someone very smart here in Switzerland told me that, and um, when I was actually quite young, and it always made sense to me. And many people think they're so much smarter than everyone else, and they're gonna ride it. But that's not the full story here. In fact, the other story here is that I, in 2018, fell flat on my nose on the oil patch where we had a, quite a big correction and I was also heavily loaded in oil stocks and not just because we only do that, but because in that, that moment I believed I understand all the moving parts and you know what, Maggie, I didn't understand the macro. Because think about my career, right? I'm coming from all this micro, 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 you know, looking at each page of everything, buying firms. So I'm saying macro, you know, that's for the kids, not for me. I'm buying firms here. Long term, right? And then in 280, whoom! And I'm thinking, like, where did this slap come from, right? I didn't see it coming. And so I said, okay, so, uh, uh, you know, I need to uh, uh, beef up my, uh, I, I'm, I'm having a blind spot here. I need to uh, become much better in, in macro. And so I, we engaged in a, an external company, which helped us understand, build what I call a macro process. And since then, we pay, we, we included that in our investment process. So now it's company, it's commodity level, where you need to understand the sector inside out, almost like a big data company. And I think we're very good in this, in the first two. And then macro, we outsource kind of, where we have a partner, where we listen very carefully to what they have to say and where they give us signals. And the three combined makes us act. And in our, in this case here, also, my knowledge in other commodities makes me careful because I see the energy crisis that Europe has and not just, you know, gas, but mainly electricity. And I'm getting very careful here where this is taking us. And I think the damage will be much bigger than many expect still. Which is a bit the gas presentation we had also for Real Vision a while back. Now the electricity uh, comes on top. And so, uh, and everything is slowing down. And so I'm saying, okay, no one went ever bankrupt by taking profit here. And and let me be humble and let me make sure my investors have a good track record here. And then we can go into a more difficult patch rather than me, you know, saying, no, this is fantastic. It has so much more upside. And then everything corrects again because we are mm -hmm. perhaps in a disorderly market in the not too distant future. And then we have to wait again for a year or two to make it all work. And um, and and so again, I cannot say I'm Buffett where I say, look, my pre my preferred holding time is forever. Yeah, uh, we wish, uh, but we have clients, and as you know, clients um, they uh, don't do the same work as you do. You can explain to them, but it makes them insecure when the price action goes the wrong way. Sure, and they have a different time frame. I all the time. And it's not that in Petrotol I didn't test the nerves with COVID. That that's so interesting and it shows, you know, that's a that's a growth mindset, right? That when you when you know what you've what you've been doing or what you do, you see your blind spot, you know, the blind spot you have and you try to correct for it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that brings us to very interesting because your third and your fourth are some of your worst trades. And I'm curious as to how they came about. So one of them is Sarika, I think. Sarika? Sarika? Sarika. Um, Serica is a, uh, Serica Energy is a UK gas pure play. And actually, it's a very successful trade for us. But why do I put it on the not so nice list? It's because, uh, this was a trade, a company that we discovered in, in 15 when it was Mickey Mouse small. And the company became a 30 times success. So a Google. Wow. And what did I do? I went in and out, in and out like a cheap day trader. And what, how much did I make on it? I don't know, three times my money, <laughs> not 30, right? So I'm, I'm everything I just explained, I actually didn't live in that specific example. And it was important for me to tell your audience that too, because I don't want to sound like this wise old man that did everything. I, absolutely not. When I look back to Serica, I'm saying, why on earth do I think I can time this market? Ah. Uh. That's so hard, isn't it? But so many of us fall victim to that. Why do you think you did it in that case? Was there something going on? Or is it just the habit that all of us have to break, especially when you have knowledge? Like, then you think you know. It's almost dangerous, right? I I don't know. I, I have the explanation yet. Um, I think... Um, it, 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 it takes more time to understand oneself. And I think I understand myself. But um, I would say I'm probably 355 days a year the man I'd like to be. And then 10 days I'm not. <laughs> and those 10 days are the days that you executed the trades on that, on that company. 10 days you can do all sorts of silliness. But, but in this case, um, um, that may be an explanation. I, I don't know how else to put it, right? I mean... There is also the, the, I looked at the situation and said, I understood everything here. It's all, it's fully valued. What should I do here? And yet I understood that the management did great things and then boom, gave the next transaction. The thing went up again. And I'm saying, why do I not give these guys a bit more credit and let them do what they want to do? And, and actually they've proven again now the third time that they can. You know, a gentleman from, two gentlemen from England. Um, I mean, they, they are the most wonderful uh, group of people that you can think of. And, and I was trying to, to, to become too smart. You know, funny enough, by the way, uh, let me say that, um, it, not about me. There is a English, I think he's a carpenter or something like that, who discovered the company about the same time as I did and invested, I don't know, half a million pounds or a million pounds. And he's now worth, I don't know, 100 million, uh, 30 or 40 million pounds. <laughs> Everyone knows him now in the, you know, in the long brokerage circles, you know, Dr. Hardy, his name is. And everyone knows him and everyone's like, that guy, you know. He, I think he picked the single biggest winner in the UK stock market there is for the last 20 years. Incredible. Do you think that it's, do you think sometimes when you, when you, I said a lot of information is dangerous, but do you think when you get this level of competency that you can overthink things? How do you prevent yourself from doing that? You know, there's like, it's really helpful to a point and then you can almost 
sabotage yourself with that? I think what we, we have to look at it a little different. I think you have to accept that in this game, it's not going to be what many people call also the game of golf. It's not a game of perfect. And you're going to have these beautiful rounds, but don't expect them to become the next 20 years where each and every time you do beautiful rounds, you can still have the same analytics, the same rigor, the same discipline. And yet at times your emotions play games and in hindsight, you don't know exactly. And, and some you play better and some you play uh, badly. And then maybe some you hold too long. And then mm -hmm. you don't pay attention. You have too much confidence in whatever is around the industry or the management team. And you become lazy about it. You don't read up anymore. You say, oh, that's going to be fine. And then suddenly things change. So I, I, it's not a game of perfect. Let's not be too, too tough on ourselves of always having exactly done everything, you know, bottom to top. And then, and, 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 and there was the max you could have to look. Maggie, let me ask you, do you think from here Apple is ever going to go higher again in its history of Apple? For the, I'm talking the next 500 years. If I knew that. I have once tweeted, by the way, that I think that was the peak for Apple. That, that was as good as it gets. Really? What are you basing that on? So from a monetary perspective, right, from this uh, money printing perspective, we're now in a stagflationary environment probably for five, six, seven years. So it's never going to reprice to that level when interest rates, when the 10 year is at five versus almost zero or one or a half a percent. Then the company think about it, how, how, what a wonderful run it had with Steve Jobs getting this right. And then um, the next guy. Uh, executing beautifully on on the on the few products that made him winners, and so all of that uh, was in a perfect fifteen-year alignment. And now comes a time. I mean, why should it be that this company um, is also not disrupted by something new, by some new Steve Jobs that is coming? It's very hard for me to imagine. At the same time, we have the call it the macro side, the monetary side. The, um, you know, what, what, what's the liquidity for that stock? That all works against it. Mm. So I think that probably has been as good as it gets. See, that's a very bold call. Um, I like that you made it because most people don't because they don't want to, you know, they don't want it to come back on them. The thing that's interesting, and I think this underscores why what you, the whole process you described is so very difficult, um, I, re I covered the release of the first iPhone and every single person said, who needs this? Nobody needs a phone. And everything they've released has been met with naysayers all along. So you sit and say, that has to be the peak. You know, they wrote it. It was a good wave. But how could they possibly? And we've been proven wrong all along. So you may be right, but this is why it's so hard, right? Like, because there are a lot of people with all this knowledge of that and say they can come up with a million reasons why they might. And so many smart people too, right? And they have such sophisticated explanations for it. And then maybe it's all wrong. And the network effect of Apple is fantastic and so on and so forth. But I, anyway, I was just teasing here and look, uh, it's not a game of perfect. And maybe Apple has another 20 year run and doubles from here uh, because it just doubles revenues and profits. Um, I wouldn't put my thoughts on that. But what I'm saying is 
it's not a game of perfect. So sometimes yeah, I took my cards off Petrotal and that's just fine. And I never, I'm never a guy that then looks at these things and if they go up, I'm saying, oh my God, why did I not? Nah, 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 nah. For me, I'm at peace. I did exactly what I wanted to do. I executed on my process and I'm at peace. We've got one more trade I want to get through. Um, and this is another one of your one of the trades that didn't work out for you. And I wonder if it's a similar situation or if there was something different about this one. And that was Polarcus. Is that Polarcus? Yes, correct. Polarcus. Yeah. Polarcus. So what happened here? Yeah, it's a seismic data company that collects uh, uh, data uh, at, uh, at, at, the, at the bottom of the sea. Uh, for also for the oil and gas industry, and um, they um, had actually wonderful ships and a wonderful technology to do so and go about this. And uh, interestingly, a bit like Songa Offshore, they had an upside down balance sheet. And uh, because of Songa Offshore, I got maybe a little bit too comfortable about the situation and thought, mm, I see this again, and the cycle is going to be fine, and this is all going to work out. And remember, Often when we lose money, it's because we invest in bad balance sheets. Regardless of the circumstances of the business, a bad balance sheet is always a very risky investment where you really have to go the extra mile. In Polarcus, we also went to see the company in Dubai and went the extra mile, but we didn't go about it properly when it came to certain basic fundamental aspects such as is there a long-term contract yes or no and we said oh there is not but everyone needs this seismic data so it's always going to work and obviously it didn't and um and and there we simply lost them it went against us very quickly too and um and luckily there we quickly started to understand no this 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 just didn't make sense with all the hours we spent in it and uh, we cut our losses, and uh, but they were losses, right? I mean, this was a very bad trade, and um, I I should have known better. So, uh, as a general comment, you know, if you if you don't have that much time as we have, try and pick the best balance sheets, not the worst ones. Yeah, which sounds basic, but it's not easy to do. As you get more experience and the more you know, does it make you worry more or more or worry less when you make these decisions? Well, we feel much more comfortable in making decisions. And what I do, however, is get, I get very little excited about anything. I, it, it takes, you know, before I start to say, wow, let's do now. All the, everyone away here, I want to now type and do and think. That takes a long time because I, I've looked at so many companies and so many managers so quickly in so many ways, talked to so many managers, nah, 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 nah that uh, at some point you just, you know, the, the, you, uh, you know, this Malcolm Gladwell that wrote the book about, you know, the, the 10,000 hours that you need to put in the process. I definitely have that in here. And it just makes me very skeptical of many things very quickly. I don't, I don't see the edge. I don't see the thing. And then often things become a macro trade and I don't want to just have a macro trade. Right? I, I let out. So there has to be a clear offer, a clear angle about this company that others haven't not yet discovered and so on. And so um, um, it's hard to find them. But again, I'm a guy that is happy with one or two good ideas a year. I don't need uh, five, five things uh, at every uh, moment in the month. Yeah. Do you think it's the nature of the of the environment we're in right now or that, you, that you feel so skeptical all the time? Is it the nature of the energy space? What do you think that is? 
Now the energy space is actually uh, getting more and more and more interesting. I just think the macro side at the moment is so difficult that I think time is my friend, not my enemy. So let's wait a little. And then um, uh, uh, th th uh, when we look outside the energy space, we're not just do energy, we do a lot of energy, but we do metals, we do, you know, a lot of things commodity related and even outside commodity. I just find it hard to find value. Again, I'm going back to Apple. I mean, Apple for me is no value. Um, um, or, or many of the of the good companies that I look at that I think at some point what I call, what what is the name, by the way, Burggraben, my holding company, where, what is it named after? It's called Moat. <laughs> economic mode that Warren Buffett explained. That's and awesome. I was wondering that. Showing that. So, right, we have a logo here. Ah. And it's an incomplete mode of a company. It's supposed to show our logo. I love it. I love it. And so the, the point there is um, we, uh, we, we, like, let me pick a company that you may know, WD-40 from the United States, you know, with which you <laughs> make sure I know. noise go and, and everything works just smooth again. It's the only home improvement thing that I'm awesome at is wielding that. <laughs> so that's about as high a mode company as you can build it. The best of the best that uh, um, a brain, and by the way, no high tech behind it at all, just a very, very clever consumer uh, product that was built over a period of 40 years in a very persistent, consistent, clever way by clever management, always with clever team. And I don't know everything, every the latest aspect of everything they did or they didn't do. But whenever I look at the price, I say, why would I buy one and a half percent yield uh, uh, when I can buy uh, <laughs> the U.S. Treasury 10 years for, for 3 percent or 3.5? And and it just doesn't make sense. And um, whether they have growth or not, you know, the companies, the best of the best are still highly overvalued. And so I don't move in that sector either. So I try to go a, where I know enough about it, circle of competence, and B, where at least the market comes in my direction and otherwise I don't play. Yeah, which is great advice. You're lying in wait until your opportunity comes. Alex, as we finish up here, what would your advice, you've given us so much advice to think about, but what would you leave people with who are, you know, starting out, trying to grow their money, just trying to think about being smart in this space? so hard to give a general uh, uh, advice to everyone i mean if you if you like if you have passion for it uh, have faith that you can find alpha we discussed that so that you can see something others cannot where you know more than most um so have faith about that don't become passive just because everyone says that everything else doesn't work i don't agree with that and it's not my track record nor my experience um two um if it's really your passion, go about it and otherwise find someone to do it for you. What's what's the problem there? That should be possible too. And then, um, you know, as for the current situation, the other day someone asked me, so what's the trade, Alex? Tell me, what, what should I do? It was an American from, from Texas. And I said, the trade is to wait for the trade. <laughs> he didn't like it. He wanted to hear something from me that we can make money tomorrow. Sorry, I don't have that at the moment. Uh, listen, it is very hard to be patient. Uh, we are all, all learning that, right? Yeah, exactly. Alex, this was so tremendous. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. It was a pleasure. 
All right, that's a wrap on this week's edition of My Life in Four Trades. For more on the series, visit realvision.com forward slash my life in four trades. Make sure to use the numeral four. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. If you like this show, you're gonna love Real Vision Essential. At Real Vision, we talk to the most successful investors in the world and deliver videos that make finance interesting. It's all about helping you become a better, more confident investor. Now we could dress that up in fancy marketing buzzwords, but it's really that simple. Oh, and right now, you can join Essential for $99 for a full year instead of the usual $239. Visit realvision.com forward slash Essential99 to join the Real Vision community. That's realvision.com forward slash Essential99.